Hey folks, it's Jeff Wenzel from the Woodshed Agency, and you are listening to my podcast called Successfully Funded. Here we go. Let's turn it up. Turn it up. Yeah! All right, crowdfunders, it's 2017. We are into the new year, and this is the first episode of 2017. We took a couple weeks off here to uh, you know, do a bit of format changing, not too much, just tweaks, you know, a little bit of tweaks. And then we also had the holidays, which typically isn't a huge time for crowdfunding just because of all of the distractions and um, you know, you're you're basically fighting a battle to go against all the big big companies who are also doing uh, pay per clicks and and you know everybody jockeying for positions in in the social media landscape. So crowdfunding traditionally is is quite slow during the holidays, um, and it's definitely not something we recommend uh, launching a campaign unless you've got a very specific thing. So, but man, is this exciting? Aren't you guys excited that it's 2017? It's the new year. We've got, um, you know, it's it's mid-January. Yeah, yeah. So coming up on this episode, I've got two cool things going on. Number one, I've got an interview with Tom Burden from the very successful Kickstarter campaign, The Grip Mat. Uh, we're going to be talking about how he got his project um, you know, funded like 10 times more than what it is or whatever, some huge gigantic number. And, uh, and then also... Uh, something we're going to be doing here from time to time is we're going to be featuring a product or tool that we use inside a woodshed agency. So I ended up having uh, Dimitri from just uh, reachout.io, which is a really cool PR platform um, uh, that that we use or I suggest my clients use. Um, and so I got to talk to him for a couple minutes just to kind of get the backstory on, on where that idea came from and how to best use it for crowdfunding. So those are the two Big things coming up in the first big episode. What, what episode is this? This is like episode, I think, like 56 or something like that. Something like that. Whew. See, I don't have all my data in front of me. I'm just winging it right now, right? So this is what happens when you start winging it. You don't have your data in front of you, and it's all about data. But, man, so how was everybody's holidays, huh? Did you guys have a good Christmas, good Hanukkah? Did you guys have a good uh, New Year's? What did you guys all do? I'll tell you what I did. So let's break down Christmas for a little bit. So, guess what happened? Yeah, my Christmas got cut a bit short this year. And why is that? Well, that's because my mom and my grandma, and which would be my dad's mom, decided to get into a huge fight over Christmas presents. And uh, we basically cut it short. My grandma left. Yeah, my grandma got in the car and boop, bolted out. Now she's 80-something. I've talked about her before. Uh, yeah, so... So we had waterworks, we had tears, I had my dad crying, um, I had my Aunt Sharon playing sides, all amazing things for the holidays. Um, so yeah, got a whole bunch of presents that um, for the kids that were, you know, that are just basically taking up space. And then, uh, yeah, then we had to basically clean out the entire house I live in to actually get all of the um, the Christmas gifts into the house. So we had that going on. But yeah, really great stuff going on with the family fighting. And, and I'll tell you what it comes down to. It comes down to over a pair of Converse Chuck Taylors. Yeah, yeah, that's what it is. Yeah, that was supposed to be a gift for my, my sister. And uh, my, I'm sorry, my sister's um, girlfriend's kid. I Yeah, something like that. I had to think about how to put that together. Um, but yeah, so... 
that was the big fight. So my mom got her a pair and then my grandma got her a pair because my grandma knew that my mom was going to get her a pair. So that way it's uh, whoever opens it first. Really great stuff here. What I'm talking about right now is really healthy. Um, it makes everybody feel good. So yeah, so then my sister's girlfriend's daughter got into the middle of this fight and she's middle school, 11, 12, sorry, I don't know the exact range. But um, but yeah, the other amazing thing that came out of, of this year's Christmas is, so my, my sister, who is uh, difficult sometimes to, to, uh, to hang out with, you know, she's just, just, she's her own person. It's all fine. Everybody's doing their best, right? She's, she, you know, she's a great person. So she didn't bring any Christmas presents because she uh, told everybody she forgot them, right? Which was a little annoying on for my my side, my me and my wife and, and the kids because there was a couple things that we didn't get based on the fact that my sister said, oh, I've got that taken care of. My sister also didn't bring this supposedly amazing gift from my parents. Like, oh, when you guys see this, you're going to be so amazed. It took us a long time. Basically, my sister created this whole story, right, about how amazing these gifts are. And still to this day, none of those gifts have showed up. We never got the, the, the Lego things for Addie, and my mom's never gotten this gift. And there's been no contact, no communication. So, you know, we're, we're kind of left here going, did my sister lie about this? Uh, am I missing something here? I mean, why would you make up this whole story about how amazing all these gifts are? And if the gifts are that amazing, let's just go from my parents' side. They're so amazing. Why would you want to try to get them? Especially if you honestly just forgot them. I can maybe see that happening where you walk out of the house and you just forget them, you know, maybe. So yeah, we've got that going on. Yeah, that's it. And then New Year's, you know, New Year's with kids. And I, I don't know how New Year's is anymore for people, for the youngsters out there. Maybe if you're one of the youngsters, you can comment and, and tell me how it is for New Year's. But do you guys go out anymore? What's the point of it? I mean, you can go out whenever you want. What's the big, do, do people get all dressed up and, and go to the bars and roll in at like five, six in the morning? Is that what people do? I mean, we were in bed by about 1130. We went over to a family friend's around the corner here and just hung out and had a nice night. We actually did a countdown on a microwave to trick the children. I know, kids, if you're listening to my podcast, a few, you know, 10 years from now, yeah, we lied to you on, on this New Year's. Now, the 2016 New Year's, we lied to you. Sorry about that. Or 2016, 2017 New Year's. Yeah, we, 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 we pretended the countdown happened when it didn't. Well, sorry. But that's one of the great things. You can lie to your kids right now, right? They're not going to be completely messed up. It's all the other lies, right? It's all the other lies about, uh, you know, that you're happy in your relationships and everything's great. That's the stuff that really impacts them, right? Not the little lies. <laughs> Who knows? But man, it, man, I, I got to tell you, I was not expecting to take this much time off on the podcast. So for, for my listeners out there, if you guys were jonesing for some Jeff Wenzel and some crowdfunding, I apologize, man. It just it got real slow there. I couldn't get anybody to take take a bite. And, and basically, man, I, 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 there was very few campaigns out there that were worth talking to. So, so I apologize that, that this took some time to get, get, get going. But, but like I said, we're going to reformat a little bit. We got a couple things. Like I'm real excited about talking to the tool creators that we use here inside of Witch Agency. You know, the first one is just out, just reach out.io. And um, we're going to have some, some tools we use for email and, and social media stuff. So, you know, Hopefully you guys check this out. And, and that's why I wanted to talk to like the, the creators of these tools to kind of get, you know, obviously they're the experts, right? And I want to get them to just talk about how they would use it if they were doing crowdfunding. So that's exactly what came up from Deep Dimitri. So the other thing we're going to be adding is we've got a healthy amount of, of 
um, in, invites out right now to what we're going to somewhat call, I don't have a real title for it yet, but it's going to be like the Millionaire Club. You know, it's going to be projects who have raised over a million dollars in the last year. Uh, we're going to try to talk to those kind of types of guys too in 2017. And then the other thing we're going to be adding is we're going to be adding in, t- um, you know, sprinkled throughout the year, we're going to be adding in PR pros or creative director pros, just people that, you know, are creative for a living because I think it, it is important for, for, you know, if you're thinking about getting into crowdfunding to, to, to know people who are, you know, just doing it on a huge scale. I've got a, I've got a buddy who's going to be coming on uh, in the next few episodes, and I'll, when I can announce it, I'll, I'll let you know. But, you know, he's working on major accounts, you know, JBL and so on and so forth. You know, I think there's going to be stuff that you guys can take from that and apply it to your campaigns and your projects. You know, how to craft that story. You know, how you still, no matter what, you've got to get people excited, right? And and that's at the core of all of this. So, so. That's the stuff we're going to be adding and sprinkling into 2017. On top of still doing two or three week, two or three episodes a week of of uh, campaigns that are successful, that are that are in real t- as close to real time as possible. Just like what's going to come come up here with the grip mat with Tom, um, you know, because I, I still think that that's the benefit, that's the bonus here of these episodes is, is when you get to dive in and hear what somebody just did like two weeks ago. You know, this is what they were doing two weeks ago. This is what they're going to be doing next week. You know, that way you're getting the most up-to-date information on what's working out there in crowdfunding. So, so that's coming up. Other big news. Guys, tune in this Wednesday. This Wednesday, if you guys are on Facebook, and I think the whole world is on Facebook, so who am I? Who's not on Facebook? That's only, I think there's like six of you in the whole world that's not on Facebook. But we are going to be doing another another cool little thing. It's going to be called crowdfunding and cooking. So if you tune in at 3 p.m. 3 p.m. Eastern Time, Eastern Standard Time, EST, I'm going to be cooking Greek polenta lasagna. We've got a new recipe that we're going to be trying out. And I'm going to be taking your crowdfunding questions. So if you've got something that's gnawing at you or if you really want to, to dive in and, and, and ask, me, ask me something, that's going to be the vehicle. Wednesday, 3 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Join me for cooking and crowdfunding. Uh, and I'll be sharing that recipe too. We're going to, like I said, Greek polenta lasagna. How does that sound? I don't know. I don't know what the polenta is going to do. So that's what's intriguing to me. But but we're going to try it. And I'm, uh, you know, I'm going to be putting my vulnerability out there. What if this turns out to be the worst meal on the planet? That's a possibility. You know, I could totally mess it up or do cooking styles and techniques that people don't agree with. Oh, you can't do that. You can't put, you can't put the canned tomatoes in there like that. You got to do it this way. All that stuff could be happening. That's going to be a wild adventure. And I don't know exactly how we're going to stream it to make it uh, real cool, but you know, we've got, we've got devices. So I got iPads and iPhones and whatnot. So um, yeah, so check in, check in on that, you know, other thing, you know, we, the product is out there. If you are thinking about crowdfunding, go get my crowdfunding successful roadmap. Crowdfunding success roadmap. It's out there. Man, it's everything. I got everything in there that you need. Everything. There's nothing I haven't left out. I, I'm telling you. You know, tips and tutorials, emails of people to reach out to, how to network, how to get, you know, big mailing lists. All of it's in there. Yeah. Over 10 gigs of stuff for crowdfunding. And again, all of the latest, greatest stuff. So that's out there too. Man, I'm doing a lot of plugs for myself. But it's the new year. I got a lot of stuff to talk about. A lot of stuff. So, whoo. Man, are you guys tired? I'm, I'm, I'm kind of tired. But man, I'm so excited. So excited that we're getting the podcast back going again. 
I'm excited for my conversations with Dimitri and uh, Tom. And uh, yeah, let's go ahead and kick it first to my conversation with Dimitri from JustReachOut.io, and uh, let's figure let's let's learn about this tool and uh, and how you guys can use it for your crowdfunding campaign. So, uh, Dimitri, you there? Oh no! Oh, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I pre-record the I, I pre-record those interviews. So let's kick into my conversation with Dimitri. All right, the red light's on. Cool. That's the the old best time there when the red light hits the uh, uh, hits the old eyeballs. <laughs> awesome. Well, Dimitri, uh, thanks for uh, taking some time to uh, to chat with me. Um, I'm a big fan of, of Just Reach Out, and I was wondering if you could uh, maybe tell me what what your tool does. Sure. Thanks, Jeff. Uh, you know, Just Reach Out helps uh, entrepreneurs, professionals, authors, or whoever you may be, pitch journalists and influencers and uh, anybody out there who has an audience basically mm-hmm. in uh, on the on the cheap without the help of PR firms without going to PR professionals so just anybody out there who's got a cool book or great story or a product or a blog or anything that they're working on they want a little exposure publicity for it just allows you to simply type in topics that you're interested in and then pull up journalists or bloggers or influencers uh, who would be interested to chat with you about those topics because they write and talk about them a lot. So that's awesome. So what's your background in PR? How did you get kind of to where the, you built this, I think actually an amazing tool for, uh, for PR. So like, how did you get to this point? Yeah, so I um, I basically quit my job as a software engineer a long time ago and sold everything I had and dropped pretty much everything <laughs> over to Salvation Army that I couldn't sell. I got into my Honda Civic and I drove cross country and I wanted to learn how to build startups. And I arrived there and I I lived at a, in a Econo Lodge. Whereas this crappy little Econo Lodge look at Salinas, California, looking for a free gig at a startup to try and figure out how to do marketing. So walking around, trying to network, and I just was not having luck because I was a software engineer. And uh, through a series of events, I ended up getting a free internship at a company called Crossloop. And there I kind of perfected, I started learning, really, not perfected, but really learning about how to do outreach. And so... The, the marketing they were doing there was mainly content marketing. And so we needed to get <laughs> to get those relationships going and we didn't have much money. So we couldn't afford a PR firm. And the founder there took me under his wing and taught me the ways of reaching out to journalists and striking up a conversation with them about something that's useful for them, becoming like almost an assistant to them or helping them out with data and insights and, and things. And so... I really learned this powerful technique and I was like, wow, I can, anybody can do this, you know. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I struck up relationships with all sorts of people in Silicon Valley over the next six years that I lived in Silicon Valley. So, um, you know, like I interviewed Matt Mullenwood from WordPress. I struck up a conversation with Ashton Kutcher. I interviewed the Winklevoss twins, uh, Evan from Twitter Tom from Pandora, like just just anybody from anybody, like Kevin from Eventbrite. And so when I started reaching out and this technique was working, it was not working for just founders of really big startups, but also with journalists, you know. And so that was my beginnings in the PR. And then I, um, I joined a number of other startups. Uh, one of the startups was that I helped kind of grow 
from bottom up uh, single-handedly was a company named Polar, which uh, we grew to 40 million page views in two years through this PR outreach approach. I wrote about it on the next web, and it got acquired by Google in 2014. And after that, I was like, all right, I got to build a product that does this for everybody because I can only consult and coach so many people. And that, that was I was doing that. I was just coaching people, and so I launched so yeah, the product. Yeah, and, and it's awesome. I mean, I, I, I've done PR here in the Detroit area for the last, I don't know, 10 years or so, and when I stumbled upon your, your software and, I, and just saw the ease of, I, it would take me like 10 weeks to find a specific reporter or whatever it might be, some healthy amount of time to find somebody, and yours was like, oh, yeah, there it is right there. It's like, oh, my God, this is so easy. <laughs> this is so much time-saving. Um, so, you know, so... We focus a lot on on crowdfunding and and that sort of outreach. What advice would you have for, on how to use your tool to kind of kind of best get the word out for a project creator who's got a you know got that next up and coming cool Kickstarter Indiegogo campaign? Yeah, so we have four thousand paying customers. We launched early twenty sixteen, and so that's a, a lot of people. A lot of them are Kickstarters and and similar types of Indiegogo campaigns. My number one advice that I give those guys is look at who was trending in your topic on there and who got the most press because that will tell you exactly the types of journalists and influencers who are going to cover yours. And be a little broad. Don't just, if you have a game, great. You know, what type of game and is it action and, and who are the types of people that would be covering that? But if you have like some kind of, I don't know, a uh, gadget like a cell phone holder or like some kind of, I don't know, um, booties for dogs or something like <laughs> right, that. Right, right, right. If you have those kind of things, then look at overall kind of like who's doing dog grooming industry type of Kickstarters that were really popular. And even if the Kickstarter is related somehow to yours, chances are that journalist who covered that Kickstarter might be interested in covering yours. So a lot of times I look at just the name and I'll Google the name or search and just reach out the name of that really popular Kickstarter and just see who has covered them before and only reach out to those people and say, hey, you covered something very similar. We're launching something similar but different. Uh, would love to hear your feedback on it. And you know that there's already interest there because they already covered that crowdfunding campaign that's very much related to yours. The trick is always finding it. And sometimes you can't. Maybe you can't find the trending, the, the biggest trending campaigns in your industry. And if you're like one of the first ones, in that case, you will go and find topics that people have covered so if people are requesting sort of specific topics we have a section of our site which basically you can look for press opportunities where you can see if somebody is writing about entrepreneurship and they need an expert to talk to they are requesting uh to talk to somebody like that and so you might look at who's requesting to talk to beauty products and and those types of uh, features uh, but generally, you could always find a Kickstarter that was pretty popular that's somewhat related to what you've done. And so I would go there first and, and see. Mm-hmm. And so, so, yeah, I was going to say another part, part, portion, uh, portion of your, of your, uh, of just reach out I love is the, um, Quora and, um, uh, you know, and the Reddit where you can go in and find people talking about stuff. Do you have any advice for somebody to kind of, 
you know, that that's nervous about interjecting themselves into these conversations. Cause it's something I always try to tell all my, my clients, like, you know, go get into a conversation about whatever you're an expert on. And, and I love that feature too, that you have in, in, in your product. Well, I'll tell you a story. So um, besides just reach out, I do coaching. So I have a co- PR coaching program. It's uh, it's a one-time fee, and I coach you through Skype calls and a lot of different kind of back and forth on Slack channel. And we have a lot of custom, a lot of students in there that graduate. And so there's a new student that just came in, and there's this guy. He's from Germany, and he was building a product. It's a, it's a software that helps you focus on your tasks more and get rid of distractions on your computer. And he was a developer. He's never done any marketing, and he wanted to get some exposure for his product. And so when he went through my course, one of the suggestions I had in there is to answer a core question about your topic of expertise because you can get some exposure that way. And so he looked at it, and he said, I know I got to do that, but oh, I just... I'm 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 an, I'm an introvert. I don't need to talk about it too much, and I just I don't know if I'm going to get the right kind of exposure. I kind of need to be in New York Times with my with my website and what I'm doing. And I'm like, listen, you, you're a young guy. You have the, your first product, and this is a cool thing you're building. But New York Times Business Insider, they're not going to cover you because they're they're just not you're you're not uh, you know you haven't accomplished enough, right? And so. Your best approach is to do this type of, you know, growth hacky type of stuff where you might go on Quora or Reddit and, and strike up a conversation about something interesting. So there was a question asked, you know, what are the top ways you stay focused? And he just, he put something simple, you know, cup of coffee, glass of water, and some other things that he goes through, like his daily routine. And that question started trending and so a lot of people were answering and his simple answer was probably the easiest one and I can show you the link he is at 652,000 views of his answer and he's got uh, something like 230 new uh, customers that signed up for the software that you know is still free but he um, has never even dreamed that such a like a simple answer on Quora would get him this many eyeballs and this many people already interested in his site and it was just a simple thing that he he listed it wasn't very long or or it was just the best answer probably that people thought and so he's still getting a lot of um, exposure from it and um, he just shared it in a private slack group and i was taught everybody kind of reacted to it so let's just yeah let's wrap up a couple other questions here so what was the you know what what would you say is the the worst thing to do if you're doing press outreach for yourself? Like what's the biggest no-no to stay away from? So the biggest problem I see, and I see this all the time, is people start pitching the product and the service that uh, they are working on and why it's the best thing uh, since sliced bread. It's basically, I see this all the time. I, I answer about 80 support tickets. I do all the support myself on Just Reach Out. We have 4,000 customers, so I get 80 a day. And like most of the people will send me an email pitch and it says, I'm X from this company XYZ and here's what we've done. And it's four paragraphs about their product service. And he's genuinely thinking this is the way to talk to journalists. And I always say, would you say this to them face to face if you saw them at a conference? 
Usually the answer is no, so why would you email it to them? You know, you're screaming at somebody as if you're just like a big advertisement, walking advertisement, or you're one of those people on the street that you they're trying to solicit you for something. You don't you don't want to be talking that way. So the biggest thing is don't do that. And in, 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 instead of that, strike up a conversation that is based on common interests. So uh, the one of the lessons, one of the first lessons in my coaching program is four tactics that are just, you know, really easy to implement that will help you start a conversation with somebody based on a common interest. So one of them is become a source for a journalist to like look at what they're asking for. So there's, we do this and just reach out, but there's also other tools out there that you can look at and you can find journalists need uh, expert in X, like insurance <laughs> for an article they're writing in the next three days. And so since you're an expert in insurance, it's a great low hanging fruit for you. The other thing is, Striking up a conversation with journalists, well, they're knowledgeable in a topic, and there's a lot of questions being asked about specific topics. So you might want to go answer a question on Quora, and then you might want to ask a journalist to comment on it, right? And so then that kind of creates a natural dialogue. Or you might want to interview that journalist for an article you're, you're writing for your own blog or some other guest article and include their quote in it. Um, so that... Those types of things, it's just, it's easy for journalists to nod their head and say, yes, I'd, I'd love to chat with further about it, right? Like, you want my opinion about something? Sure. Um, don't just start asking them out of the blue on a cold email because you don't even know them. Why would you ask something of them right up the, uh, right away? It's not like they're sitting there waiting for the next email to pop in their inbox. They're, so busy that you know they don't even have time to read their email most of the time right. so yeah. don't don't just start asking them to do something strike up a conversation that's somewhat valuable to them if you have data or insights that's even better start like sharing them insights but a lot of times crowdfunders they're just we got to get this thing out there as many people as possible get them to cover it. We don't have time to just like strike these conversations and talk to people. This needs money now. Like people just freak out a lot of the time. And sure, like in that case, you just got to be dead on. Like you have to know that this person, like show me three articles that this person has written that are very similar to what you're doing. But, you know, of course, different stuff. And if that's the case and these articles are recent, then Sure, the person actually reading that email will probably be interested in it. The other thing is like subject line is your number one thing. Like people spend days figuring out what the email pitch should be. Subject line, that's the first thing you got to test because that is the gateway to like them opening it all together. So subject lines, like three, four of them, and you're testing all of them to see which ones get opens. And just reach out. We let you see if you get opens. But you can do this through Mixmax and Gmail or whichever way you prefer. And then once you got the subject line, um, then you want to look at the actual pitch itself and see which ones are resonating. And follow-ups. Follow-ups with those pitches is the only way to really figure out whether they're opening it and liking it or not. So you're going to... Follow up three times at least until you should expect a response. Most people send an email and they're like, oh, 
they didn't get it, sorry, like, they didn't respond, they must be... No, like, you gotta follow up three times at least to get a real response from them, and then you'll figure out if your pitch was dead on or not. Um, but the first thing is really the, the subject line. That, that is all phenomenal advice, and uh, you're preaching to the choir here because that's what I teach everybody, all my clients, um, and I love your tool. So, so Dimitri, how, do you, uh, how, how can people reach out to you or learn more about um, your, your tools and your, uh, your, co- your, um, your classes and stuff? Yeah, yeah. So uh, justreachout.io is the, the software, and then my class is uh, PR That Converts is my, the name of my coaching pro- platform. It's uh, prthatconverts.com, and um, yeah. I'll put some. I'll put links in the webpage so people can uh, so click on it and uh, and get to you. So I, I appreciate you taking some time out of your day. I know we, we fit it in quick today to to get you on here, but uh, I wanted to feature your uh, just reach out because it's one of the best PR tools I've seen, and and uh, I love using it. So uh, I appreciate it. Thanks so much. Thanks, Jeff. Uh, sounds good. Thank you. Good to be here. Well, there was my conversation with Dimitri from JustReachOut.io. So yeah, make sure you guys go check that out if you're if you're interested in a really great PR tool. Um, I can't stress it enough. Uh, I've been doing PR for a number of years, and the way that this tool is set up, um, and I think the other, well, the way the tool is set up, it really makes it easy to pitch the appropriate journalist or the reporter. And the other thing that, again, I think I can't stress enough is going. And interjecting yourself into these conversations on Quora and um, uh, you know in, in, in the Facebook groups or Slack groups, go be a part of the conversation. You want to be an expert, you got to go to be a part of those conversations. So, really cool stuff there. Um, all right, well let's let's get to the let's get to the real meat here, right? Let's go talk to Tom Burden from the Grip Map, and let's learn about you know the most versatile tool mat out there. Um, and oh, let me also preference this. It's a little bit of distortion, right? Um, you know, uh, we, we're not a huge production company here for the podcast. We we deal with what we have, right? That's that's our motto here. We're all right. We're we're small, scrappy entrepreneur. So uh, you know, so you get sometimes you get podcast episodes that are just a little, you know, little distorted. That's all. Information though, there is still really solid, really really solid. So let's kick to my conversation with Tom from the Grip. All right, Tom, how are you? How's the new year going for you? Going really good. Um, yeah, I did the Kickstarter four days after the new year and um, got a lot of potential for this year. Awesome, awesome. So why don't you tell my listeners a little bit about uh, what you actually use Kickstarter for? So we use Kickstarter to launch three more grip mats, which um, I had the grip mat original that I launched myself at an air show. And um, we decided to pull to expand that into three more products, a small, medium, large, and um, yeah, push them out on Kickstarter. Well, let's let's break down a little bit. Uh, what's a grip mat, and what do I do with it? 
So a grip mat is a flexible non-slip tool tray that gives the mechanics a safe place to set their tools. So, um, yeah, it's just a high friction material that um, basically grips your tools when select surfaces. So I'm an F-16 mechanic in the Air National Guard, and I was tired of my tools sliding off the aircraft. So um, everyone kept telling me what I couldn't do. I couldn't put tools in my pocket. I can't wear a tool belt. I can't set tools inside the jet. I'm supposed to run up and down the ladder every time I need to set something down. So when I was sitting in my mom's car, I noticed she had a, a nonstop mat on her dashboard to keep herself in place when driving. And I thought, well, we could use, use that similar concept on the aircraft. Wow. So this is like the, uh, the 21st century toolbox uh, for people yeah. who have to get into, get into unique places, it sounds like. Right, right. And it's not just for aircraft. Um, that's why we decided to do a small, medium, large to branch out into other markets. And that's the biggest value that the Kickstarter is bringing to us is really seeing where else this can be used. And um, that's kind of the enjoyment of seeing like clearly I knew automotive would be something, but like drone mechanics, um, people working on their guns or doing arts and crafts, or, um, I made the material anti-static. So therefore it won't short out any electronics being set inside of it. So people that are working on, um, computers were buying it. And we had a little survey that, um, would give us feedback for what other people were using it for. Or just the other day, someone was telling me they wanted it for some part in their kitchen. And, um, yeah, hmm. so not all kinds of uses, uses for it. That's interesting. So why don't we go into a little bit as to, you know, what makes it, you know, so versatile and so unique? Like, like what's special about, uh, you know, this, I mean, is it a tool, tool mat? I mean, what, what, what makes it so special? Yeah, um, so it's... The original concept was for aviation, and now it's just basically wherever you have tools, um, it can be used. And basically, wherever you have um, multiple of anything that you want to keep um, from getting lost. So the the big secret that we have is, is the chemistry, the material that the product's made out of. Um, so it's anti-static, won't short anything out. It's chemical resistant to a lot of different um, really harsh chemicals, especially used on aircraft like Skydraw, um, which is a de-icer, or um, MEK, which is, uh, what is it, the, the paint stripper. It's, it's resistant to a lot of harsh chemicals, so it'll last a long time. And, um, yeah, it's also the grip is the quality that people like the most. Um, on the Kickstarter, there's a GIF of me sticking it against the against a whiteboard and then me putting my phone on it, um, sticking vertically. So has a lot of friction and, um, yeah. And, and I'm assuming it doesn't leave like that film on your stuff. Oh, correct. Correct. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. So that's, so I can get nerdy on you and the, um, so that's a high coefficient of friction where, um, what you that adhesive that you're talking about, or the the film that you're talking about, is an adhesive. So like hairspray, like that, that's actually an, acting as an adhesive. Or like duct tape, that's an adhesive. So there's no adhesive; it's just a high coefficient of friction. That's cool. So, so you know, is uh, where did you come up with like the sort of chemistry that you were kind of talking about behind the scenes, without obviously going into detail and all that stuff, but like. It doesn't seem like you just do this in your backyard and you start mixing some chemicals and you're like, hey, let's see what happens. Oh, look at this. I, it works, you know? Yeah, so um, how it started was 
Um, at the time, at the time I came up with the idea, I was also a mechanical engineering student at the University of Toledo, Toledo, Ohio, and um, I just started prototyping my basement, so I had a little more access to different types of chemistries and stuff like that. And I was at the time I was using a two-part mix, so you have two materials that pour together, mix it, and then it'll harden into um, basically whatever materials that you buy. So it could be like a soft rubber, a harder rubber, and uh, it'll mold into whatever you pour, pour the material into. So that's how I started with the prototypes and then um, had to modify the chemistry to be static resistant and resistant to other chemicals and then at the same time be able to be manufactured, um, which that was a big leap. So after testing and um, just kind of hustling, I finally found a mentor who does a lot of manufacturing and um, his claim to fame was getting waterproof housings for laptops and cameras. And it's basically the standard for what they use for Shark Week. And the thing is they needed um, rubber gaskets in the in the um, waterproof casings um, to keep the water out. And the, rub the rubber had to be anti-static, so it wouldn't short out the electronics. So when I was telling him, I'm like, hey, look, I need a rubber that does this, that grips everything and is anti-static. And he's like, I got the perfect thing for it. Um, wow. And then, you know, shortly after we started, we got in production. That's awesome. So let's, you know, to kind of get to where you're starting to mess with chemistry, let's go back a little bit. So where did you grow up? I grew up in Salina, Ohio, which is a really small farm town. Uh, where did I get, what was the town again? Salina, Ohio, C-E-L-I-N-A. It's, um, Western Ohio, it's like my parents live like eight miles from the Indiana border. Okay. All right. Yeah. So uh, I'm in Detroit and my, okay. my I, I actually live by the Ohio border is where my, oh, I grew up. So uh, okay. I've been to Toledo many times. Uh, oh, yeah. So you mentioned Toledo. <laughs> yeah. yeah my, 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 my mom, I believe, still works in Toledo. Uh, okay. As of right now. But um, so, you know, so what, you know, growing up, uh, you know, what did you kind of mess around with? Like, like, what was your sort of, you know, what was your life like? Yeah, so um, growing up, <laughs> my mom was a, I mean, she still is a stay-at-home mom, coupon clipper. She's actually, like, considered a extreme couponer. My dad... TV show? Yeah, yeah, basically, she talks shit about those people. <laughs> uh, yeah. Anyway, my dad does. My dad's a truck driver, and he does construction on the side, and then has a few snowplows. So, um, doing that, I was always like building a lot and like creating things. And then um, my my biggest thing was I'd always play with Legos. So I was constantly making new things with Legos. So. Um, that's what gave me the drive to be to want to be an engineer, and then um, I didn't want to pay for college, and I was trying to call my my, my parents want to pay for college, and they were trying to I was trying to call their bluff, and I was like, well, I'll join the military, and then they're like, okay, and then I joined the military, and then I was like, oh shit, <laughs> I'm in the military. Yeah. <laughs> so. That's hilarious. So so then, how did you get into how did you get to Toledo? So Toledo, that's where I enlisted. Actually, no, I actually enlisted in Springfield, Ohio, and um, they were like, well, what job do you want? And I was like, um, I want whatever job has a bonus. And then they said they had like three long lists of jobs I could have had, 
And then after I said that, I went jobs with with a bonus, and they were like, eh, okay, here's here's your options. And it was like four jobs. <laughs> so I was like, oh, shit. <laughs> um, I guess I'll take this one. And it was it was uh, F-16 weapons armament, which uh, you work on the weapons of the F-16s. And they were like, well, in order to have that job, you have to go up to, to Toledo. And uh, that's at the 180th fighter wing. And uh-huh. um, this was like, oh, okay. I mean, I was at the time still in high school, so I didn't. Springfield and Toledo was just basically the same thing to me. I, I didn't know the difference. Right. Um, so, yeah. So that's interesting. So, you know, so back to this project, how, how long did it take from that initial idea when you're sitting in your mom's car to you sitting with the very first uh, grip mat to where you are now? Like, what's been the time frame for this? So, um, <laughs> there's a lot of prototyping involved. So the thing is, I was... The original idea was to have form-fitted mats that would clip on, onto the aircraft. So um, to get to that point of me making a prototype, um, that was probably at least a year. And then um, that was probably a year and a half ago. So to the very first prototype, which was a complete fail, and then to, yeah, idea to prototype was about a year and then the real big um, hurdle that I had to jump was the chemistry getting that to work chemistry and manufacturing and um, yeah that couldn't have been done without my mentor so so, so in that time what, what do you think was like your biggest pivot where you know or roadblock where you just like this isn't going to work I got to go here I got to do this you know is there one example of that that you can think of it was manufacturing and uh, and chemistry. I mean, that kind of goes hand in hand because I needed the right chemistry to, for the manufacturing. And I'm like, I'm not a chemi, I, a chemical engineer, and I don't know anything about manufacturing. So um, yeah, it's funny because when like I, I found my mentor, he, um, I mean, he's manufactured for Amazon and Walmart and all these big companies. And uh, everyone's like, wow, you. You had, I was like, wow, you, they'd say, wow, you got so lucky. And <laughs> I would always be like, you know, I've talked to over 10,000 people about this idea and it's been two years. So honestly, that sounds like bad luck. <laughs> um, I, you know, if it was like, I just came up with the idea and I talked to five people and one of them was, you know, my mentor. Yeah, that'd be pretty lucky. But um, yeah, that was that made me almost go bankrupt twice um so yeah that was definitely the hardest part so, so, you know so i think this is like a, a common thing among project creators is you know prior to you meeting that mentor though i mean still what was you know what was that drive what was behind the scenes or what was in you that just you know hey i'm gonna you know i'm losing i'm spending money who knows i may never meet this guy what was keeping you going um I realized that being an inventor was my passion, and um, yeah, I, honestly, when when I know something can be better, I get really stubborn. And um, there's some times where I don't. I'll be working with people, and I'm like, no, this is clearly the right way. This the other route is is dumb. They're like, yeah, we know, but we're going to keep doing it the dumb way. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, I just I just realized that there is a better way. I had a teacher when I was little, she, she, I remember her telling me like every hundred years, 90% of what we use, um, will be different. 
Wow. And I was, and I, I couldn't understand that when I was little. I was like, but what about paper? How, how do you get rid of paper? And then the iPad comes out and I was like, holy shit, this is real. Um, so yeah, I guess stubbornness of accepting the, the status quo. And, and, and where do you think that came from with your parents? I mean, as a, your dad is a truck driver construction and, and your mom, you know, cutting coupons, you know, is it a, is there a grandparent? Like, where's that entrepreneur spirit? Cause I think it is something that's passed down or it's a trait you pick up from. So where do you think that kind of came from? Mm, I don't, I don't, I wouldn't say it's like passed down. I don't think there's like an entrepreneur gene. Sure. Sure. But, but I, I think, um, I think you see it. I think you see that yeah. attitude or energy, you know? So I guess, uh, one thing was my dad owned like one or two rental properties and I really, I had it in my mind, I was like, I'm going to buy a house. So during all my Air Force training, I just stockpiled my money to the point where I could buy a house. And then I remember my dad saying, um, he's like, so do you just want to own a house or do you want to own Toledo? And then that kind of made me think, because my dad would one thing my dad did was he was always like, you got to have something else. You can't just be working for someone else. You got to have like your own thing. And, um, I was like, okay. The thing is my dad's mindset was to have your own thing part-time and work full-time somewhere else where to me, that's like a long jumper jumping with one leg on the ground. Like you just can't perform as much. Like there's no way. So, and then, it was kind of funny because I'm like, I would talk to them like I'm going all the way on this. And my dad would, I, I would say, you know, this company's interested in the product, blah, blah, blah. And my dad would say, do you, do you think they would hire you? Like, I'm like, I probably, but that's not the goal right now. Uh, <laughs> so, yeah, it's kind of weird. Um, kind of going back to what you were saying with like, what, what what's your motivation? Um, it, it kind of... This sounds really cocky, but um, as an inventor, like I, it's not just the grip mat, but it's a lot of other things. It's like products that that I'll develop in the future. Of like, my job is to be an inventor. There, there's people who are who are innovative, and there's people who just have an innovative idea where they just have one idea that's good and they can't come up with another one. Where after the grip mat, I mean, I want to develop a dozen more products with a grip mat. Um, and I, I, I believe I can keep creating new products. And the thing is being an inventor, my, I, I think thoughts that no one ever thinks of. And if they have thought of it, no one's ever put it into motion. So one thing I've, I've thought a lot about is like, if you had a superpower, would you use it? Let's say flying. If you could fly, would you do it? Typically, people would answer, yeah, I'd I'd do it. Now, if you had a friend who could fly, but then was like, you know, I don't fly because it's kind of hard. You'd say, you are an idiot, and I personally would resent them and be annoyed by them. So I feel like if if I don't use my my gift, then it's just kind of a waste. Mm -hmm. So that's why I keep pushing forward. So, so, you know, was there a moment growing up or, or wherever it might have been where you really started to trust maybe your instincts. Cause to me, it sounds like you're talking about, you know, that inner voice, that instinct that like, Hey, I am creating something new here. You know, was, you know, what made you start to really listen? Cause I, I think a lot of people have these thoughts. 
I think it's the action is what's the challenge. Yeah, you yeah, know? that's that's, <laughs> that's the real thing. Like, I mean, I could I would write up write down three dozen ideas that are good ideas. That, but the, the hard part's the hustle. Um, yeah. So I guess my parent my parents work a lot work work really hard, and um, so the the hustle is just kind of normal to me. Um, I guess the the grit the part that keeps you going going forward. Um, I don't know when I started to do it, but the thing is, once I realized it was when um, <laughs> I actually skipped a college final to have a meeting with a company that was in, interested in the product. I just like left a note on the on the professor's door. I was like, "Hey, uh, I can't make it. Um, hopefully, I can make it up later." And <laughs> I was like, "This dude could fail me, or he could be cool and just like let me let me talk later." But I met with a company and I was like, I honestly had no idea if it would work or not. And turns out in the future it did not work. But um, this guy, the C, the marketing guy saw a flyer of mine and then he was like, hey, I want you to beat, um, his name's, I won't say his name. Um, he's like, I want you to meet this other guy in the company, come over at this time and um, yeah, we'll talk. So it pulls me in, and I realize that it's the CEO of this company. It's actually a global company. And I'm like, I'm thinking, oh, holy shit, this guy really likes the product. And then um, the CEO is like big. He, well, first he, he's like, oh, so you're a college student still. I'm like, yeah. It's like, have you looked around for a job? I was like, no, probably not going to. And then he's like, you know, it's really hard to get medical benefits doing your own thing. And I was like, yeah, I get that in the National Guard, which is – his company was just down the road and uh, <laughs> he was like, he, this guy was like begging me to work for him. He asked me at least a dozen times within a half hour meeting. And um, afterwards I remember like taking a shower and wanting to throw up of the thought of me basically giving all my ideas to someone else. Right. And, um, and I realized that honestly I would rather be homeless than just give away my talent. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, that was the point when I realized I was like, I, I don't know if I'm in it to win it, but that's what it sounds like. <laughs> sure, sure. Uh, yeah. So, so you know, also over these kind of two years, let, let's go the opposite of of maybe that um you know that roadblock that might have happened. You know, what was the moment or scenario that happened where it just it was like such a feel good moment where you were like, Oh my God, the chemistry working or, you know, yeah. this is actually going to work, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So doing your own thing, there's a lot of days that everything will go wrong, but then there's those days that everything goes right. <laughs> so, um, one of the earliest wins, which I kind of, I think it kind of messed with my head that it was so early is that, um, <laughs> shoot. So, there's this one part of the university that um, they'll prototype and help make products. And I was in there um, and I was just hounding them on like how to make this stuff. And uh, one of the guys was saying, okay, for the material, good material that you could use, he's like, go to this guy. Um, I was like, it's like BP materials or something like that in Toledo. And, um, He's like, he's like, talk to Dave, and Dave should be able to hook you up. So I talked to Dave, and I'm talking about how to make it, and 
first shot, Dave got like the most perfect material. Um, <laughs> like it, it, it was exactly what I wanted with like the grip and everything. Now the thing is the material like tore a lot and it, like it would tear really easy. But the thing is, it was exactly what I needed. I just needed a demo, something I could show people. Like I don't need something that's going to be bulletproof. I just needed something that I could like stick. I, I could sell inside the jet to get people to understand. Oh yeah. Okay. I just, we really need a gripping surface that's flexible. Um, right, right, right. And that was like, that was like a really easy kill. Yeah, so, I bet that would be a good moment where you're like, uh, oh, okay, yeah, we, we got yeah. this. This is a probably big one. Yeah, you know? and then that was, and then I didn't really have <laughs> another easy kill until like two years later where I met my mentor when I was just like, all right, here's everything. And I was like, I need it because I've been working with other chemists. And honestly, if I would have met my mentor a month earlier, I probably would have saved like $10,000. And um, I was just like, this is everything that, that I need. I need to be resistant to these materials and, and grip a lot, which I've talked to like at least half a dozen people about this and, and they all told me they could do it. And I was like, okay, yeah. And then when I give it to my mentor, he's like, he's like, yeah, we can do it. And I was like, all right, I'm going, I'm, I'm not going to believe it till I see it. And then he <laughs> gives me the product. I was like, oh, holy crap, this is legit. <laughs> this guy's good. Um, so that was, that was a really easy win. That's cool. So, you know, being a Midwesterner, uh, sounds yeah. like for most of your life, it doesn't sound like you moved to the coast at all in any scenario. No. Um, so how do you feel that the entrepreneur, you know, landscape is here? And then like, you know, did you have resources around that, that were available for you to go and, you know, outside of your mentor, you might, it may be ask a question just business wise, you know, manufacturing or whatever it might be, you know, what, what's it been like for you? Uh, uh, yeah. looking for that, that, that sort of support. So, um, in Toledo, I was a part, I was a part of the Launchpad Incubator, which um, gave quite a bit of guidance and some grant funding, and uh, that helped out a lot. And then later, I went to Wisconsin for a military business accelerator. That um, when I was there, I became a part of um, the Wisconsin Idea Advance. And those were like two massive programs that helped me out a ton, um, especially with providing some funding. So um, the thing is with like being an entrepreneur here, um, well, the classic thing that everyone says of a big benefit here is the cost of living is cheaper, um, which I'm seeing is being is extremely effective. So, you know, you can pay people less to do the same amount of work where if you're in the Valley, it's not going to be the same scenario. Mm-hmm. Um, what, what I've noticed is for grants where there's, I, some of my friends call me the grant King because I've gotten quite a bit of funding through, through grants. Um, what I've noticed with grants is that where there is, less business there's more grant opportunities because they're trying to pull in business to those areas so um if you play your cards right you can get some some grant funding um pretty pretty inexpensive Mm -hmm. yeah interesting 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 And, and there's less competition you know i mean if there's a grant for the best company that's a hundred thousand dollars in the silicon valley versus in ohio Everyone's in Silicon Valley. Right. It's gonna be, the, the competition is going to be 10 times harder. 
Yeah, that's interesting. That's intriguing. I didn't think about the grants uh, side of this equation, but I, I can see it being a, a you know a part of what you're working on. It's awesome. Yeah. Well, let, let's flip a little bit over to the Kickstarter because that's why we're why we're talking because okay. you've yeah, yeah. got a successful Kickstarter going on right now. Um, yeah. So, what was the idea then? I'm going to Kickstarter instead of maybe a grant or whatever, or just selling more product. You know, how did you decide to go to Kickstarter to uh, to launch this? So um, I've been working with a guy, his name is Lucas Williamson, who has a lot of experience with grants, or with, I'm sorry, with um, Kickstarters. And um, so the thing was, if we make a Kickstarter, 90%, at least 90% of everything that we're using has to be, everything that we're going to create, we can create on the outside. So we're going to be making marketing pieces. We're, we're going to be making a press kit and all this other stuff. And that's stuff that we already need in the real world. So it's like I could sit down and write a grant and try to, you know, honestly, I, I think I've exhausted a lot of the grant avenues and I would have to seek out more grant avenues. So I did it with Lucas at my fingertips. I was like, you know, let's go for it. And I've always wanted to do a Kickstarter because I feel that I could I could create more ideas and throw them on Kickstarter. And uh, yeah, Lucas has been. It's almost like we are. But with Lucas, he has really um, simplified the Kickstarter. So um, he know he knows the best routes and stuff like that. So did you have a, a pre-marketing strategy at all that you were, uh, you were working on before you hit the launch button? Oh, yeah. Um, we had a lot of stuff set up. So people lined up to, you know, right when we hit launch, they're ready to back. Stuff so like what, that. What, were, what, were, what were some of those techniques you were using? Um, so a really big help for me was that I had the original product and people were asking for new sizes. So I was like, give me your contact info and then right. I reach out to those people prior and like, Oh yeah, we're definitely interested. And then like, you know, clearly just hustling family and friends and uh, yeah. And then, so one thing that we had like 90% done, I wish we had it a little bit farther along is that little hack is with MailChimp, you can schedule when everything's set out. So next time, we would have everything with MailChimp completely done, ready to go, tracked with uh, short links and everything, and then just schedule it for the time that you're going to launch. You know, make it 15 minutes afterwards, and then, um, yeah, just go that route. So did uh, so because you had the previous product out there and that that sort of cu- customer base. Did you segment them at all uh, with any techniques to get them ready for the new for the new launch? Um. Yeah, with, with previous customers, a little bit. I mean, the biggest thing, I, on Gmail, I just wrote my entire list and um, put that into a MailChimp. And then, I mean, we used Lucas's list and, um, yeah, some other lists that I've generated in the past of, uh, like, going to trade shows and stuff like that. So, um, yeah, I, I, I didn't, like, prime them, really. I think we might have sent one email out before, Um but uh, the most, I guess, <laughs> okay, this, this is one thing that I, I guess helped prime. Um, so on Facebook, this is kind of, this is a lot of hustling on Facebook. So on Facebook, I would see a group of people or someone that I felt 
would like the product, typically people in aviation. So I found someone who was in aviation, who had a lot of friends in aviation, and I would just friend request all of them. Mm-hmm. And then, um, so then with that, I could do two things. I could send them a direct invite to the Gription page, and then I could also, uh, if I do Facebook Live, then it sends them a, a direct message that I'm on Facebook Live, and then they can see it. So, um, fun fact, you can have a thousand Facebook requests pending, and I mean, I hit that all the time. So, um, you can call it spamming or whatever, but it's, you know, I'm building an audience. We have the uh, philosophy of you got to do whatever you got to do. You got a Kickstarter that's active. Do what you got to do. You do it, and then you ask for forgiveness later. Oh, I'm sorry. I guess I should have yeah. done that. Yeah, and I, I mean, I've, I think I've almost doubled my friends, my friends on Facebook, and I think I've had like three people say, "How do you know me?" And, yeah, uh, <laughs> that was about it. And then you get some weird people from like some country you've never heard of that's liked thirty of your pictures, and you're like, "Oh, this guy's got to go." Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. So, so, how did you come up with the? Uh, so, your goal was ten thousand, and, and right now you're at twenty six thousand with twenty two days to go. So you're still still tracking up and up and up. Um, yeah. with the uh, aviation stuff there. And uh, so, when you're at ten, you know, how did you come up with this goal of ten k? And then, you know, what was the idea? Hey, if I get 10K, what happens next? So um, the 10K was to basically, okay, well, two things. If Big thing is validation. If we can't raise $10,000, then we should not touch the product. Um, and then another thing is we, we did need that cash to push us over the edge. So it was either do I keep pushing the current product I had capital to either keep pushing the current product or to develop the new products. And I didn't have, I needed more cash to develop the new products. So that's when it was like, well, we need some Kickstarter funding, some capital from Kickstarter to push us over the edge for the three new products. Hmm, Gotcha. 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 So I was either push one, I could do it myself financially or push three. And then I, but I would need capital, extra capital from Kickstarter. So, you know, because you were, I guess, so tied into the aviation world, was there any strategy to, to expand your audience into mechanics and, you know, just all the other kind of versatility things that this could, could work for? You know, was there any way that you kind of look back and you're like, all right, we got we to gotta branch out a little bit from yeah, before? Yeah, I mean, I, I was always like, <laughs> originally I was like, we're going military, aviation military, and then um, after get my face beat in the ground over and over and I'm like okay we'll do aviation and then once we started selling aviation everyone's like hey we I've been using mine for this I've been using mine and like a dental surgeon bought one and then one lady was like making it her arts and crafts she actually um she was like yeah I wish there was a measurement system on this and I was like oh cool we can add that and right. her name, her, she's actually from Canada her last name's Burden too I met at a trade show and I was like holy crap her maiden name's Burden so we're on Facebook and jokingly we'll comment like that we're cousins or something <laughs> um, so at that point I was like I can't be ignoring everyone that's telling me that this could be used elsewhere so um that's when I was like, well, you know, let's, let's try new, three new sizes. Let's try validating new markets. And um, that's when I, we use, you know, we use Kickstarter to validate everything, validate new sizes and validate new markets. 
It's awesome. Yeah, I, I love when projects like yours, I mean, you're basically crowdsourcing info as well yeah. as the product, you know? Hey, oh, yeah. yeah, we should definitely put that on there, you know? That's Thank you for product. telling me that you made my product better. That's awesome. Yeah. So, you know, outside of kind of that email strategy, was there any sort of social media strategy that you were using or any pay-per-clicks um, uh, that, that maybe you're still doing right now? Oh, yeah. Uh, um, yeah, for sure. That's the CPC. That's what... Uh, Lucas has been really targeting or focusing on. So, um, yeah, just doing a lot of A-B testing, um, which is kind of odd for, for the grip, for the original grip mat, when we're selling direct, because we got inventory of the, of the original product, um, <laughs> the demographic of the Facebook buyers are 65 plus for their age. And, um, yeah, and then we've also been finding that the, the CPC cost per click is way is not way lower, but has been been showing cheaper results for like just going general tools, you know, um, you know, like Milwaukee or Dewalt, like they're general tools. Right, right. They're not aviation tools. They're not automotive tools. They're just general tools. So clearly, with those markets, they're way bigger. Um, now I don't know the analytics of. Um, of the conversions on those, but, um, the conversions are pretty, it's pretty easy kills with, with the aviation market. But, uh, yeah, I'm assuming we probably, probably a higher CPC or a better CPC for the general tools, but maybe, um, a little harder on conversion rates, but I could be wrong. Yeah. Interesting. So, you know, with 22 days to go and you've already, you know, kicked, you know, killed your goal, you know, what is, you know, what's the attitude like right now? What is the thought process? You know, what's the next 20 days or so look like? Um, so the next play is to push for press, push for articles, get exposure, get traffic so we can rise in the ranks within, um, Kickstarter. Do you have any strategies that and how you're going to attack that? So we do have press, um, I have press, specifically aviation, and then from um, Lucas's background, he has a lot of crowdfunding press. So um, just using those lists and um, doing some just basic hustling where um, I got a good friend, um, Claire Coder. She She's like 19 years old and just has been killing everything. Um, she's got a company called Aunt Flow, and she's been like featured everywhere um forbes and i don't know if new york times maybe and uh <laughs> she was just like hey i love reaching out to press can i help you reach out to press and i was like just go to town yeah here's our press <laughs> oh, yeah. list but like, you were like no no i don't need that no i don't want any press <laughs> <laughs> but yeah i mean i could tell i don't know she she's like she's getting kind of weird about it. Like, uh, and I was like, whatever you want to do. Like, she's trying to tweet at these guys and trying to like, liking their stuff on Twitter and everything. And like, you do whatever you got to do. Um, you know, so I've been like banned from parts of Facebook and MailChimp. And I'm like, if you're not getting banned, you're not trying hard enough. (laughs) Um, so (laughs) yeah, but that's awesome. So, you know, in terms of the company, though, what does kind of scale look like for you? And, and you know, what do you have envisioned for it for the next you know, five to ten years? Um, so big scale would be um, becoming an OEM. 
original equipment manufacturers. So we can private label the product. Um, so we could put a different logo in there, you know, snap on Dewalt, um, Fastenal, ABL, anything like that. And, um, we can change the color to their, to their color. And, um, yeah, right now we have orange and you can have, you can, right now you can buy any color that you want as long as it's orange. So, um, I'm kind of leaving it open for the other companies. Like, you know, if they want their company color, then yeah, there's no one else that's really going to be having that color. So, so do you envision at all, you know, being in big box retail at all for your, like as your own company or any going down that route? Yeah. Um, for sure. If we could grow into that, into those opportunities for sure. Um, and then what I would like to do is just, Get, build out those sales channels and then I could just create new products for the, you know, a different type of grip mat or an attachment or a new type of widget for your toolbox um, sure. to help keeping you organized and then potentially just, I mean, I don't know what, I can't tell the future, but um, just go, go to those big box companies and say, hey, you know, do you want me to stamp your logo, your branding on here and, mm-hmm. you know, Right, right. No, that's, it sounds smart. I mean, uh, I, I think a full-on just trying to take a company to big box retail is just, it's just such a challenging thing yeah. uh, in today's world, especially with, you know, you sell it through Amazon and probably, you know, not have all the, uh, the headaches of, uh, of a of brick and mortar. So, yeah, yeah, right. Yeah. That's intriguing. So, you know, I've noticed too that, you know, you backed 13 projects. So when you look at a campaign, you know, that you've backed, what is it that you like to see, uh, from project creators? Um, so I mean, I've done a couple of like freebie handouts for friends. <laughs> um, you know, there's some stuff going on in Detroit actually that to help the city better. And I was like, you know, for sure. I'm, you know, spent some time in that area. I'll, I'll support, um, definitely unique innovation, clear thing is innovation one the thing that i hate about with with kickstarters is when they're just like the exact same thing and they're trying to say that it's different like no this is a camera bag i get it right there's you know they're like well we have this one new thing we're equipped and like "Eh." i mean whatever um so if it's like the level of innovation is where i'll back that's cool that's cool well tom this has been a great talk I have uh, I have thoroughly learned uh, a ton about your grip mat, <laughs> how, to, how to secure my tools in unique scenarios. Um, but it's awesome, man. I, I really love that entrepreneur spirit. I love hearing those stories. Um, everything you kind of said that's that's been my makeup for the last you know since I was twelve. So uh, it's really great talking, man. I, re- I really appreciate your time. Yeah, thanks for thanks for the opportunity, man. No problem. Thanks, Tom. Yep. All right. Nice twofer, huh? A lot of great stuff here in this episode. Uh, real excited to kick it off, man. 2017, it's here. Right? We got one in. I got another one coming up on Thursday, so stay tuned for that one. Right? That one we're going to be talking to... Uh, well, actually, who was I talking to on that one? Man, I'm spacing. But it was it, it, it's an interesting one. It's called Lab Fresh. 
and uh, you can spill stuff on your shirts, and basically nothing happens. Or you can wear a shirt for like four days straight and not stink. So that's coming up on Thursday. So, uh, all right. This song we're listening to right now is a song called Out of My Life. Uh, another song that I wrote a long time ago. We're going to be featuring some tracks all year um, that yours truly worked on or wrote or played on or recorded in the band The Sugar People. So, uh, but yeah, so check out that song called Out of My Life. All right. See you guys all on Thursday. Have a good one. We wasted so much time. Another minute with you can make me lose my mind. So you can go to hell. That's where you belong. I can't believe I took the time to write you this song. <laughs> 